You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 222, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. This episode of Look at My Records features an interview with Gabby Coena, the Los Angeles-based musician who performs under the moniker Ruby My Dear. The Perth, Australian native recently released a new self-titled EP, which arrives on the heels of some big changes for Coenan. Specifically, it's the project's first release since Coenan relocated from New York to Los Angeles and also follows the dissolution of the band that appeared on on her 2019 debut full-length Waiting. The EP also marks her first collaboration with producer Andrew Lappin and also sees Coenan drawing influence from pop and ambient source material. During our interview, Gabby and I chatted about her experiences growing up in Perth, how studying jazz in music school shaped her songwriting, the process behind crafting the EP's five songs, and much more. Gabby also picked some awesome records from my collection, including choice cuts from Amy Mann, Aaliyah, and Dirty Projectors. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Gabby of Ruby, my dear. Gabby, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm doing very well. Looking forward to speaking with you about your awesome new self-titled EP. Yeah. But before we get into that, I did want to talk about your your background a little bit, I, especially the, the project's name. I was curious. I know of the song by Thelonious Monk, Ruby, My Dear, and I know you're a classically trained a jazz vocalist. Um, you've played piano too since you were very young was the name uh inspired by that song it absolutely was um I had to learn that tune while I was I went to university for jazz singing so that was one of the tunes we had to learn while we were at school and there's a version with lyrics um I think the the most famous recording is by Carmen McRae she's a really amazing jazz singer yeah sort of peaked in like the 60s 70s um and uh I yeah was just obsessed with her version of it um and the lyrics were you know very sad and romantic and when it came time to think of a name for my own project um I just made a big list of things that had the color red in them because my hair is red and then I mentioned uh, the name Ruby, my dear, to a friend at college, and she was like, "Oh yeah, I really like that." And I was like, "Okay, let's do it. That's it." Um, and then the V is because uh, because it is such a well known jazz standard, and there is also a guy in France whose project is called Ruby, my dear, spelled the regular way. I changed it to a V just to help differentiate. Excellent. So is that a song that you still appreciate? Because I think of 
having to learn something in school and then having to keep practicing it, I'm sure kind of you could kind of get sick of it. Yeah, too. that one I never really got sick of. We didn't spend too much time on it. Um, yeah, it it uh, his Thelonious Monk's music is very um, angular and interesting, and it kind of like it's hard to get sick of it. It's really it, yeah. There's always something kind of off about it, or a little off kilter. And you're like, oh, okay, we're going there, I guess. Um, but there were definitely other tunes that I had to learn while I was in college that I am very sick of now. <laughs> that you one would not being... name your project after. No, God, no. There's no <laughs> Autumn Leaves uh, band in the future. <laughs> That's not coming. <laughs> nice. And you grew up in Perth, Australia. Such an interesting place. Uh, great music has come out of Perth. But it is... You know, for people that don't know, the most isolated major city in the world, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. what was it like growing up there from a music perspective? What type of music were you exposed to? Did you take part in any local music scenes as a teen and stuff like that? Tell us a little bit about what your musical upbringing was like in that, you know, very unique city. Yeah. Yeah, I am... Um... I was always exposed to music. I think like for as a younger kid, it was sort of two parts. The first part was kind of like, or the first side was, or like one side was the more formal, like piano lessons, singing lessons, that kind of thing. And the other side was more, you know, just listening to what was on the radio and watching music videos. Like those were kind of like the two pillars of like my childhood music upbringing. But then once I hit high school, I got into, you know, pop punk and punk rock. And that was kind of like Green Day was kind of my gateway into yeah. like that whole world. I was in high school when American Idiot came out and that album did really well in uh, Australia. And Australia in general just has like a really big um, like hardcore and punk scene and just, you know, we lived a few blocks away from where they used to hold the Big Day Out Festival in Perth, oh, which wow, is like yeah. a huge touring festival. Yeah. Rest in peace. I wish it was still around, but sadly not. Um, but yeah, there was just a really strong festival culture in Perth um, and in Australia in general. And I think with Perth, we got a few more kind of like uh, really small festivals and DIY kind of things. Um so it was, we had like a lot of the bigger artists like wouldn't come to Perth, but the ones who did, like it was, was like a huge deal yeah. and, and all that. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, I think I definitely, yeah, was in like a, a, a sort of DIY scene. Um, I went to a performing arts high school, so a lot of my friends were musicians and played in bands and my boyfriend at the time played guitar in a band and I ended up playing synths with them for a while they would practice in my mum's basement and we would throw house shows so there was it's like, kind of like talking about another life in a way when I look back on it and I'm like oh my god that was yeah I, we had that in Perth um so it's not that dissimilar from a lot of other places yeah. that have their own little like hometown scenes um I guess the thing with Perth is that everyone after a while, if they like want to pursue it as a career, they usually do end up leaving case in point me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So it is hard to grow beyond. If you have ambitions that are bigger than what the Perth scene provides, you kind of do have to at some point decide to either move countries or move. A lot of people just go to Melbourne or Sydney. So, yeah, yeah it depends. East Coast, right? That's the exactly. East Coast. Yes, yes. How about this? Uh, you recently moved from uh, New York uh, after being there for about, I guess a little less than 10 years. Yeah. How's the transition to the West Coast been like? And do you think that's um, impacted your songwriting or your music at all? The different scenery? Yeah. um, I think it's... I, like, I have family here in LA. So um, in that sense, it was quite an easy move. Um, I knew I wanted to move before the pandemic started, but... Um, it kind of, the pandemic accelerated everything. Um, so I, it, I was lucky to, you know, have a place to stay when I came here. Um, and I had spent a lot of time in LA previously. I was always, um, hesitant to make the move just because you hear all the horror stories of like flaky people and superficial influencer crap and all that stuff. Um, but that hasn't been my experience at all. I actually really, really love the music community out here. It's very um, welcoming and very, um, there's just a lot of different things going on and there's kind of like a space for everyone because it's so big. Um, and I think musically for me, it it's less that like ca- the California vibe has kind of crept into my music and more that like just the logistics of like, being here on my own away from like the band or the guys that I used to have in my band kind of forced me to approach it more as like a solo project. Um, Because when I moved and when I started working on the songs that are on this EP, I couldn't really, you know, play in a room with a bunch of musicians. It sort of had to be just me and my producer working on everything because like it, it was, wasn't safe at the time to do it the more traditional way. So I think that's, really been the biggest impact on me musically and there's like a little bit of you know desert vibes and like a couple of the songs and especially one of the videos but um I think it's more the um yeah just a change in approach to, to recording yeah and I could definitely you could definitely hear the differences between your your full length that you released in 2019 while you're still uh living in New York and this uh, solo, uh, I mean, this uh, self-titled EP. And it it made me think about why do you think these songs sound and feel different from your previous release? How much would you say was intentional on your part, a desire to make a change and make something that sounded different? And as you kind of alluded to uh, about a minute ago, how much was it a result of maybe adapting to new circumstances where you had to work on your own and kind of figure out how to do that. Yeah, I think it was definitely a mix of both. I um, I definitely wanted a change. Like 2019 was kind of a rough year for me in a lot of ways. Um, and I, I was already planning on taking a break from playing live. Um, I kind of scaled back the shows towards the end of 2019 and starting to do more like solo and duo stuff. I just, the band setup wasn't really working for me anymore. And I just, I knew what I got to a point where I'd, I'd like done enough or I felt like I had explored that 
way of doing things enough and really was eager to um, try something else. And luckily, Andrew, my producer, was supportive of that and was like, you know, we, we you don't have to use a band. Like, it can just be the two of us. Um, so I... It was somewhat intentional, but then it, I think it got jump-started by I, – I, I don't do well without deadlines. So I think if there hadn't been that, like – really, I mean, Andrew was kind of the one who pushed me a little to be like, oh, well, should we start working on this now because everything is cancelled? I was like, oh, okay, all right, I guess I'll start working on it then. Um, so, it, yeah, it's kind of, kind of a mix of both, I guess. Yeah. Your relationship with uh, Andrew Lappin, who is the producer on this EP, seems like it really had a big uh, impact on how this uh, EP sounds. How'd you connect with him and how'd your collaborative relationship progress? And how do you think he kind of shaped the sound of the the EP? Um, So we actually met back in New York. Um, He is born and raised New Yorker. People might know him best for producing the Lorraine albums, her self-titled yeah. and Fatigue. Um, that's actually who I met him through. This is going back several years ago now, but I used to play shows with Taja's previous band and I kind of put out the word, I think, on Facebook. <laughs> Being like, back in the Facebook days, I was like, I really want to work with a producer. Like, who do you guys recommend? And she wrote in the comments, she was like, Andrew Laffin, he's working on my solo record now, which turned out to be the first Lorraine record. Um, So I had a meeting with him, I think, beginning of 2016. Well, first I emailed him and sent it. It was like the form on his website. (laughs) And he was like, I basically never check this. So Yeah, those always wind up in spam. Yeah, he was like, you're (laughs) lucky I came across this. But I kind of like listed out all the like artists I really liked and wanted to sound like and blah, blah, blah. And he was like, yeah, I like all that stuff. Let's have a meeting. So, yeah, we had that first meeting. And the thing I that really struck me about him is that I could tell that he had really, like, intentionally listened to everything I had sent him of my stuff up to that point. And he was like, okay, I can hear what you're going for, but this is what I would do differently. And I really responded to that because other people that I had met with, they kind of were like, oh, yeah, we'll just, you know, figure it out. And he and I are similar in that we kind of work well with the game plan, so to speak. So it, it really made me feel like, oh, this person actually gets what I'm doing and wants it to sound good and wants to put energy into it. Um, so yeah, we, so he worked on my first album and then I've just kept in touch with him ever since. Um, and he knew that I was planning on moving to LA. So he was like, once you're out here, let's try working again on some new stuff. Um, and yeah, I would say that how he's, his contribution to the sound has really been through like, like obviously I am the one writing all the songs, but he is really good at like kind of editing things. And he, I can tend to get, I think just because of like my background in like jazz and classical music, I can get a little bit over like put in too many ideas into one thing. So he's really good at like culling those away and still keeping like, the interest there but um yeah making it a little more straightforward and more not necessarily like pop but kind of heading in that direction um yeah and he's just uh I love working with him it's been 
great. So I hope to do more. <laughs> yeah, that's always an interesting thing to me when I speak with musicians that have formal training in classical music, jazz, music theory, thing like that, things like that, but then are able to to you know go out there and write great pop songs. Like these are great pop songs on this EP in a lot of ways, you know. So are there times when you feel like you have to kind of shut off that more formal training in order to follow your instincts? Because I feel like a lot of pop music is, you know, definitely rooted in things that work. But a lot of times you also can gain a lot from following, you know, what you think is just the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I'm definitely a like follow my instincts kind of writer. Like I'll get an idea for like a chord progression or a part or like a melody or something and kind of expand it from there. I am. I'm not very, I guess I, there is some kind of like, I've realized my habits over the years of writing. Like I do tend towards like certain structures and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm not necessarily conscious of it. So it I tend to do a lot of like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, outro thing, and then not go back to the chorus at the end. Though on this EP, I do do that more often. But um, it, I, I, yeah, I really just am trying to find what like sounds good to me um, and then expand it from there without getting too carried away I don't really think about music theory when I'm writing the only time I'll really actively think about it is when I feel like I'm doing the same thing over and over and then I'll try and be like okay what can I change about this why do I keep writing songs in f sharp minor let's try another key let's try another <laughs> chord progression I just I, when I notice patterns then I'm like okay we need to change this up nice very interesting very interesting and you know you shared that you made this EP self-titled because you wanted a fresh start. Why did you want a fresh start on this EP? Uh, maybe why not, if you felt like you wanted to go in a different direction, uh, start a new project or something like that? What was the reasoning behind kind of this fresh start with a self-titled EP? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a lot of practical reasons for not wanting to change the band yeah. name. Um Mostly because like I'd spent so many years and especially in 2021, I had a, a pretty significant spike in like audience, yeah. like it did grow a lot that year. So I didn't really want to change the name and start something totally new when I felt like I'd finally found the people who wanted to listen to me. Um, there were, it did feel, I was nervous about putting out the EP and kind of like alienating those people. Cause there was a song of mine on the last album called cycles that like, did really well on streaming, relatively speaking, for like my previous success on those platforms. Um, so I was a little worried that the new EP wouldn't be like interesting to the new listeners I'd found. Um, so far, that hasn't really been the case. I mean, it's you know, it's all algorithms and all that stuff. So who the hell knows half the time um, what is going on there or what people are gonna like unless it's being like force fed to them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and I think I, you know, I'd always known in my head, like what I wanted the sound to be. And I feel like with this EP, we finally got it. So I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to shift it away. Cause I feel like it's all been progressing to this moment. So this is kind of like the, the, 
the pivot point. So like we've, I've spent the last few years and the last few pro like albums recordings, like trying to find the sound, find the sound, hone it, hone it, hone it, hone it. And now we're finally here. And then what comes next after that? And that's what I'm really excited about. Me too. Very excited as well. <laughs> so there's way more piano on this record when compared with uh, your 2019 uh, full length waiting. Why the shift to piano? I know it's the instrument that you learned music on. Mm -hmm. uh, did your writing process change at all? Or is do you write on piano primarily? Have you always done that? Mm -hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that shift. Yeah, so I do write pretty much everything on piano. I do play bass as well, but um, that's always been more of like a live thing. I've never really written on that instrument, though it would be, it would be cool to try. I have written bass lines for like other bands that I play with, but um, for this project, it's always been very piano focused. And in the past, I would write the song on piano and then figure out, okay, the guitar will play this line, the synth will play this line. It was a lot more trying to uh, pull the other instruments into what I already had. And then I think with the EP, I was just becoming more and more comfortable with it, the songs just existing on their own as like piano songs that I think it, it made sense to have the piano be more of a focal point. Also, I think again, logistically, the fact that it was just me and Andrew, like I played all the piano parts on the EP as opposed to with the album. It was, uh, I had a, my very good friend, Darren Denman, played piano and keys on all of those. Shout out, Darren. <laughs> Miss you. <laughs> He's back in New York. Um, but Darren, what's up? up? Darren? He's not going to listen to this, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was sort of like a, a practical thing as well. The guitar parts, Andrew played all of them on the EP. Um, he played some of them on the album, but this one was a lot more like it was just him. So I think we were approaching it more as a piano focused project. Um, I think it's cool that it differentiates it from my album in that sense. I also did on the reference playlist that I sent Andrew, there was a lot of um, piano heavy songs like James Blake and like Adore era Smashing Pumpkins, like that kind of stuff I just love. And I was really into that idea of like having it be more piano plus vocals plus like beats and stuff. So, yeah. To dive into the specific songs on the EP, I think one of my favorite parts of the EP are, is the first two songs, the shift in energy from Black Moon to Lose <laughs> My Mind. You know, Black Moon is really soft, piano-centric, mm -hmm. and then Lose My Mind is really beat-driven and much, uh, you know, the energy level definitely gets uh, kicked up mm -hmm. a notch. So tell us about that first quarter or so of the EP because I feel like that shift in energy was really cool the way the two songs flowed into each other yeah that's awesome that you appreciated that um Andrew had a big hand in picking the track list I kind of I would like the track order I was like I don't know can you tell me <laughs> tell me what to do because <laughs> I had just been listening through it as like alphabetical order so it went black moon don't ask yeah. me lose my mind lullaby over it um and I just kind of got used to hearing it that way. So I was like, is there a better option? And he was like, yeah, definitely start with Black Moon, but then go into Lose My Mind. And yeah, I think the energy shift is, it's fun to listen to because you kind of get lulled into this false little like, ah, oh, nice lullaby. And then you're like, whoa, okay, here we go. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think with Lose My Mind, that one was definitely definitely very influenced by the references that I sent Andrew. We kind of really dove into that mid to late 90s pop electronic kind of sound. Um, so I originally with that song had thought, oh, it'll be kind of more of like a down-tempo, like halftime feel. Um, I almost envisioned it as like the beat from Hold On, We're Going Home by Drake over like the piano. Um, I was just like, yeah, it'll be kind of chill. Um, but then he, Andrew sent me back this demo because we were working remotely a lot on this EP just because, again, the pandemic. Um, so he sent me back a a demo with that drum beat and that bass line. And I was like, oh my God, wow. This is not what I expected and not what I even thought this song could be. And he was like, yeah, I tried a few different things, but you know, this seemed to work the best. And I was like, God damn. So that's one of those things where having him involved is really helpful because it's like, I would never have thought to do that with this song. And again, the song was written, like the structure is basically the same. It's, you know, it, if you tear away all the beats and stuff, it's still my song. So I don't want to like discount my own contributions or anything, but um, yeah, that, that beat, it felt like it came out of nowhere and I was like, oh my God, yes, this is amazing. Let's do it. I can't wait to play that one live, to be honest. I feel like that one's going to be Yeah, that's going to be a fun fun. one to play live. (laughs) You've cited uh, songs from Madonna's uh, album, Ray of Light, which was released in 1999, I think, as a sonic inspiration for the sound uh, of Mm -hmm. this EP. Uh, I know you said it's... You feel like it's apparent on Lose My Mind, definitely. But I also feel like I heard it on oh, Over yeah. <laughs> it, uh, as well, for definitely. And I was just curious what specifically about that record uh, made you want to like kind of capture the sound and the vibe of that record on this uh, EP. I think that's like, I, will, I like anything that is kind of dreamy, but beat driven. And I think that's what I've always really loved about that album um, is, I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like a huge Madonna fan. Like, obviously she's an icon and she's made some of the best pop music of like the last 40, however long she's been around, 30, 40 years. Um, but she she's not like a, like a top tier artist for me who I like check out everything that she ever releases. Um but that album, like that, just the music of that, like 1998 kind of year, I think that was a time where like I was a kid and I just would like park myself in front of the TV every weekend and watch yeah. music videos. And it was like the Ray of Light and the Frozen Power of Goodbye video and like all those, those are like <laughs> seared into my brain, um, yeah. that whole era of music, um, and it was kind of a, an interesting time because it was like coming out of grunge, but like before the like teen Britney Spears explosion. And it's kind of like this strange, like some like, and obviously in Australia, we got a lot more of like the UK and Euro, like dance electronic music wave coming through. We kind of had a mix of that plus the more American stuff. So just kind of this like, bizarre time for music that I just latched onto and was like, oh my God, I love this. So 
I feel like I've seen people say that like your your 30s are for like returning to all the things you loved as a child and like not totally. caring yes. what anyone thinks. Your 20s, you're trying to be Absolutely. cool and whatever. And then your 30s, you're like, screw it. Like I love 1998 pop music. <laughs> so Same. I think there's that like nostalgia factor for me. Um, but I just really love like the production on that album, like, uh, the, the strings and it's very cinematic, but like beat driven and kind of got like some like world music influences in it too. And the songs at the end of the day, I just think are really good. Yeah. That, that's so uh, fascinating because I feel like I've gone through similar things where I've been revisiting a lot of music from the 90s when I was growing up as well. And that album stands out in particular to me because I feel like it's an album that I forgot about <laughs> and then revisited. And it's like, oh, this is pretty good. The, these songs are really good pop songs. Did Was there a moment where you rediscovered that record that y- you can recall? Um. Oh, I'm... Gosh, I'm not sure. Um... Oh, maybe like 2013 or 14. I think it was when I was still in college, but kind of like about to graduate. That's kind of when I came, came back to it and was like, oh yes, yes, this is, this is it. I remember this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And I came back to like the Frozen music video a few years ago and watched it again. I was like, God damn. That is that is so cool. Um, I think Aussie radio like tends to, or at least when I was still living there, it tends to play a lot of that era of music um, pretty regularly. I don't think we have, or at least when I was growing up there, or even like in my early twenties before I left, there weren't. I mean, God, yeah, this is going back like ten years ago now too. There weren't as many um, radio stations. People still listen to the radio. If you go to the shops, it's like things are playing so a lot of that kind of era of music was still being like on heavy rotation on Aussie radio so I think it's just yeah it's funny there's like certain records that like depending on what country you're from like you'll have more of an attachment to (laughs) so I think there's a, a, a lot of the things I'm referencing on this EP were very much like staples if you were like an Aussie millennial so yeah yes yeah staples here too as well i'd say that madonna record was was big i remember the um the one where the video where she's dancing super hard and the roads like oh yeah behind her yeah that was a good music (laughs) video black moon another great song on the ep it seems like lyrically is a song that's very reflective of a specific time in your life big period of transition for you in several different ways. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear that song? And uh, what do you think you learned about yourself after going through like the process of writing that song and dealing with all the transitions that it kind of reflects lyrically? Um, Yeah, that one is definitely a, definitely a pandemic song in a lot of ways. Um, but then kind of like in the bridge sort of reveals itself to be about like, you know, it's these things that we have dealt with in the pandemic, like aren't just 
relegated to this like time of global crisis like you can have that those same feelings even when you're surrounded by people or even when you're right next to someone um that was kind of like the a running theme with a lot of these songs and a lot of the stuff I was writing at that time was like being with someone who you know doesn't want to go outside is like dealing with mental health issues and that kind of stuff and then you know, when, when the pandemic started, it was like everyone was suddenly having to cope with like themselves alone, I, like removed from most other people. Um, so, yeah, I think I I worried about that song. I was a little like, is this too like pandemic-y? I don't know. But I think it, it – I hope that it's relatable in, in some ways. Um, I think a lot of artists – I don't know. You can't not write about what is going on in your life. And yeah. it. I saw a lot of stuff on like people posting, be like, oh God, I hope we don't get a million pandemic albums after this. And I'm like, well, you might just have to put up, Too might bad. Have to put up with that for a couple Deal more years it. because that's, that was life. So. Yeah. I don't know how people can say <laughs> that because it's such a, a global event that affected yeah. everyone. And everyone's way yeah, of life. So. Exactly. <laughs> I don't get that but um, how about, you know, Lose My Mind, definitely a standout uh, song. I mean, um, <clears throat> excuse me, Black Moon, definitely a standout uh, track on the record. But to, to go back to, to Lose My Mind, um, you know, that kind of examines darker lyrical themes, uh you know, mental health issues and things like that. But it's a really, like, bright-sounding yeah. song. Uh, tell me a little bit about the contrast between, you know, what the music sounds like and and the subject matter of the lyrics. How deliberate and intentional was that on, on your part? Um, it... I don't think it was very intentional on my part, though I do recognize that it's, like, a choice. Um... I don't think I realized like when we were doing it that that, that was going to be the end result. I just kind of like, yeah, I like this beat. Yeah, these lyrics are what they are. Let's just do it and see what happens. I kind of I it's only when like a song is finished that I then look back and kind of realize like, oh, that was going on or like that's the result. Like that kind of contrast between bright and dark. It it's funny with that one when we were working on the production like it sounded even brighter like there was like more acoustic guitar it was a lot more poppy and then we I don't know I don't, I don't know what I, like there was a, I know there was a day in the studio where Andrew and I were like this is sounding a little too chipper let's try and like take out some things <laughs> and then it then it became a lot more like the the bass like the synth bass kind of became more prominent in the mix and then that was when we were like oh yeah this is a little more got a little more of a menacing tone so I'm glad that we had that realization because it still has that like upbeat bright energy but it's not too far in that direction um so yeah I kind of like how it has the like high frequency kind of stuff on top and that like kind of like those melodies but then it's got that like kind of rumbling snaky baseline underneath i think it kind of yeah it amplifies a lot of like what's in the lyrics um 
yeah, I don't know. I just write a lot of sad shit <laughs> and I don't realize that I'm doing it until people are like, oh my, like I've had people tell me about that song. They're like, like those lyrics are very intense. And I'm like, I didn't. That's real yeah. shit. That's what it's I don't know. all about. We're just right? writing it down, trying to find cool lines and yeah, again, I don't realize what I'm doing until I've done it and then I'm like, oh, right. Well. Keeping it <laughs> real. Keeping it very, very real. <laughs> You're playing live. You have a release show for this EP in January. Mm-hmm. What's the live setup for Ruby, my dear, going to look like for this era of the project? So funny you should ask, because I just sent an email this morning to my uh, wonderful producer being like, can you please send me one shots and stems for these songs? Because I'm yeah, in the middle of trying to figure that out now. But um, luckily, uh, the guy who played guitar with me in New York, uh, Whit Sarawat, he's an amazing guitarist that I went to college with um he uh lives in Irvine now so he's going to be playing this show with me so I'm really happy to have at least some continuation from the old live setup to the new one I feel like that's going to be like a nice anchor to have because he already knows like all the old songs and he's learned some of the new ones so I'm excited to have at least not have to like worry so much about one person in the group um but yeah the guy who played uh drums on the ep jorge balby is gonna be playing drums and then my buddy steve brickman he's gonna be playing keys and synths so we're all just kind of i'm just trying to figure out like what can be played live and what has to be like a sample or a track um but trying to trying to keep it as live as possible i've really been like yeah. listening and like watching a lot of like old like Radiohead shows and like kind of seeing how they do things because I think they have a similar thing where like some of their albums are very electronic sounding, but then you see yeah. them live and it's like a band on stage, but it still sounds like, yeah they're all there yeah, yeah it still sounds like it doesn't it doesn't take you out of it it's not like oh well I have it's like two completely different worlds it's they do it in a way where it like it connects there's still that tether to the the albums like the recorded sound um so i'm trying to figure out the the best way to do that i think a song like lullaby is probably going to be the hardest to pull off because it's um it's very electronic but we'll figure it out speaking of lullaby last track on the ep really great way to end the ep i feel like it kind of sums up kind of combines a little bit of everything that's present in the the preceding songs as well how'd that song come together and just tell us a little bit about it um so that one is uh that one I had originally intended just to be like a cute little interlude I didn't really think it was gonna be a whole song I had like the the kind of the kind of like oh god I don't even know how many lines of it but like the the main chunk of the lyrics that like repeats that's all I thought it was going to be um and then when we started working on it like I may at that beat like the core of that drum beat I made on like a little drum pad thing like the year previous and was like oh yeah whatever we might use that we might not and then Andrew in the studio was like oh that's actually really cool I was like oh 
Andrew thinks a drum beat of mine is cool. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't. I don't think he's ever said that to me before. But I was like, yes, I won. I felt like I'd won a prize when he said that. So we kind of built it out from that and he added all the different samples and then there's like some field recordings in there that I had made like when I was on a trip in a couple of years beforehand um so it was yeah it was a really fun experimental process and like and then he was like oh yeah if you add like one more section I think yeah that'll be good and I was like wait what I thought like what this has to be longer. I can't do that, but then I figured it out. So it's now got the bridge and the outro <laughs> and I love the bridge and the outro. Like those are like my favorite parts. Um, and then with the strings, my buddy, Alex Weston, he's a film composer. So we got him on board to do the string arrangement. And that was another, yeah, classic, like pandemic, like the two string players played their parts at home and recorded themselves. So it was, um, yeah, there was a lot of experimenting going on with that song and there were a few times where we were like, is this too weird? Like, is this too different? Like, I, I said to Andrew at one point, I was like, it feels like this feels like an alien made it. Like, I don't know what this is, but and he was like, is that a good thing? I don't know if that's a good thing. And I was like, it's the best thing, dude. Like, I love that this is so <laughs> different and it feels like, like it feels like the next, like we've discovered the next stage. And I actually wasn't going to put it on the EP originally. I was going to leave it off because I was like, it's too out there. But I'm glad that I put it on because I think it gives people like a peek into what I want to do next. Um, and what do you want to do next? This is a good segue. What do you, What's next for the project and what direction do you see your sound going in? Um, I definitely see it going in more of that like mix of like organic instruments with more electronic beats. Um, I really want to pursue that more. I've got like a bunch of little like snippets of songs that I've been writing over the past couple of years that I want to produce in that way. Um, and it's basically like an album's worth of material. So I think whatever comes next, it's going to be another full length album and hopefully delving more into that sound that we kind of uncovered in the EP. Um, there's one song that I've worked on that I think does want to lend itself to more of like a rock band or like shoegazy dream pop kind of sound, but everything else I, yeah, just want to see how far we can push the, the more experimental approach because it's really fun and yeah. And I saw recently, you know, I know you do a lot of, different music things outside <laughs> of, of ruby my dear i saw you you recently uh were the music supervisor for a independent horror film called the other kind what was that experience like and do you see yourself doing more more things like yeah that? so that experience is still ongoing um still working oh, on cool, that project so um yeah it's uh i mean i'm a music and media or music and film are really like my two biggest loves so music supervision is kind of like the perfect way to combine the two um and that is something that I always had wanted to do but like wasn't able to because of like visa restrictions and all that stuff but now that I have my green card I am able to 
yeah, do a lot more. Th- that's uh, that's opened up a lot more opportunities to me um, in terms of like work stuff in the US. Um, and I don't really, I don't know this for sure, but like there's not really a music supervisor community or like pathway to become a music supervisor in Australia at least. And even in New York, there's, there are a few, but there's not as much of like a sync community there as there is in LA. So when I moved here, I was like, okay, I'm going to really try and pursue this. And I love it. The community is great. It's um, the process is um, very challenging because you're, you know, I think people think like, oh, being a music supervisor, you just get to like make playlists and like pick songs and be creative. And that is part of it. But sometimes you might be working with a director who knows exactly what they want and you just have to like find what they want and try and get it within budget or budget. Exactly. Yeah. It's all money or (laughs) they don't know what they want. And then you have to like throw a million different things at them and hope that they like it. So it's, it's very challenging, but I love the problem solving aspect of it. And yeah, if anyone needs a music supervisor for their next movie, hit me up. Cause I am available. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right. So let's dive into some Ruby, my dear tunes. We're going to play some songs from the new EP. We're going to play the first four tracks on the EP, starting off with they taught us all to stay alone hiding away but still Yeah. 
just heard four tracks from Ruby, my dear's brand new EP. We heard them in chronological order as they appear on the EP. We heard Black Moon, Lose My Mind, Don't Ask Me, and Over It. And you can get a copy of the EP via Ruby, my dear. That's Ruby spelled R-V-B-Y, my dear, dot bandcamp. All right, now we're going to play some records that Gabby picked, starting off with, I've been doing more vinyl DJing, so I've been getting a lot of like 12-inch classic hip-hop singles and stuff like that, so that's why I have uh, some Aaliyah, One in a Million by Aaliyah. Tell me a little bit about why you picked that track. Uh, definitely a uh, a millennial icon who we sadly lost at a very young oh, age. God. I was thinking about it recently, and it's it's crazy to think about because she was older than us, but we were very young mm-hmm. at the time. You don't you don't really it doesn't really set in until you're ten plus years older than. Aaliyah was when she died and you realize oh my god it's really very very tragic oh yeah um, I mean but yeah she's yeah I, I would never forget like f- like when we heard that she had died like that was just yeah. so sad I was like what how the hell does that even happen like it was mind-blowing but I've I love her singing I love how delicate her voice is I think a lot of times in certain genres like rock or R&B there's like a big focus on like powerhouse vocals and like huge sounds and I like that she's a lot more delicate she's still got those like intricacies and she can do those runs and stuff but she's she's just got this like really gentle quality to her voice that makes you kind of lean in and listen a little more carefully and her product like the Timberland production is like he's just one of the best and it's just so different and interesting and it's like it stands out compared to a lot of other like music from that era um so yeah i love alia r.i.p she's the best she's going down let me let you do that's why i don't mind spend my life with you i want to please you Next up, probably my favorite songwriter, Amy Mann, Red Vines off of Bachelor Number Two. Massive fan of her and her um, husband, Michael Penn, as well, who is super underrated. Yeah. Uh, they're both amazing songwriters. And this, to me, is probably the her best oh, record, yeah. Yeah. too, in my opinion. I love this album. I'll like put it on when I'm like driving around LA on the freeway and it's nice and sunny. And it's just like one of those classic car albums for me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Oh my God. Me too. I would listen to it in my car on CD a lot. Yeah. A lot. Uh, Even recently within the last few years, I've listened to this Mm -hmm. album on CD in my car. Yeah. It's just, 
it's great. Like this as again as you said, the songwriting is excellent. I've actually seen her live at Largo quite a few times since I've moved out here. Yeah, she plays there yeah, regularly, and right? Michael yeah. Penn was one of her surprise <laughs> guests. Um my uh friend got me tickets to see her for my birthday a few weeks ago and um he was like it was like amy mann and friends and she's like and now here's my husband michael penn and everyone's like oh my god (laughs) and he's so like just very like mild-mannered and very modest but he sounds amazing like yeah and i just love like the yeah the john bryan production that is who produced that album right yes yeah yeah that kind of sound again it's got that kind of nostalgic quality that i like and um red vines is just it's just such a banger. Like every time that chorus comes in, I'm like, yeah. And the drums and everything. It's just, it's so good. <laughs> she can write oh, a chorus. Oh, yeah. For, for real. Yeah. She's a fantastic songwriter. Movies by Wise Blood off of Titanic Rising. Yes. A perfect song. I like, so I actually found this song through James Blake. I think he tweeted about it, about the music video when it came out. I was like, oh, well, if he's talking about it, then I'll check it out. And I watched it and was like, oh my God, this is like everything I want in a song. Like, she's just, I love her voice. Like, I think sometimes with like the indie genre, Indian quotation marks genre, like vocals aren't always given priority. Like there's not a lot of like truly excellent singers in that kind of music, but like she's got such a beautiful voice. I am obsessed with it. And just the, like, I think you can maybe make the argument that the lyrics are a little like straightforward, but I kind of don't mind that because like, it's so like cinematic and like the the transition from like the synths into like the end part is just oh my god it's like a little movie in itself um so yeah that was definitely a song I looped like a hundred billion times for like all of 2019 I just yeah that's I think that's like one of my most played songs ever on Spotify Next, The Socialites by Dirty Projectors off of Swing Low, Magellan. This band and that two, you know, those two records, one that came out in 2009 and this one I think was like 2011. feel like peak millennial indie (laughs) rock there because I loved and I listened to those records like so much right around that time. Yeah, those albums were... I, yeah, when I was, like, trying to figure out, like, how to write songs, these were the two that I was listening to a lot at that time. Um, and I think, 
Yeah, it's I think coming from like a jazz background, I'm really drawn to stuff that has like that kind of more they're not a jazzy band, but they do a lot of really interesting, unexpected things musically that I think is it kind of draws you in and like catches your ear, especially if you're used to listening to a lot of very like high concept, intricate, almost to an yeah. excessive degree kind of music. Stuff like Jody Projectors is kind of a good middle ground between like the more like high concept stuff and more pop stuff. Um, and I, again, I, I mean, I, I teach singing, so I tend to talk about people's voices a lot, but I love Amber Kaufman's voice. Oh my God. Again, she can really, really sing. And I think, yeah, I, I, uh, I've seen them live a couple of times and she just like blows the roof off every time. At least, yeah. yeah I mean, this is going back like 10 years ago now cause she's not in the band anymore, but um, she was definitely a favorite singer of mine for a while. You mentioned listening to this record a lot when you were figuring out how to write songs and writing your first songs. Do you remember if there's anything, you know, specific from this record or this band that you, you kind of took away and, thought oh I want to do that in my songwriting at that early stage Um, I think there was like the approach to rhythm was informative like the beats and the kind of like more um unusual rhythmic choices in like the drums and the guitar parts and stuff like that um that was that was a big influence early on um I think it's lessened over the years but um uh definitely in like my the earliest songs I was writing, there was a lot more of a focus on like doing unexpected things rhythmically. That was kind of a thing in indie rock, I mm. guess, around oh, that yeah. time, right? You know, you think of Animal Collective, you think of um, what's the Grizzly uh, Bear, Vampire Weekend, Grizzly Bear, yeah, all doing like interesting things rhythmically and with beats and yeah. stuff like that. Next, Nema by John Coltrane off of Giant Steps. <laughs> Yes, Naima. Um, Naima. Uh, yeah, I I did notice that your collection doesn't have a lot of jazz in it, so I was like, I got to pick a jazz tune, and that is like yeah. one of my most favorite jazz ballads. Um, I just think it's beautiful, and uh, that uh, I almost picked Giant Steps, like the title track, just as like a joke because that's one of those jazz tunes that I had to spend a lot of time with in college and we had to play it in seven (laughs) at like 200 BPM and like solo over it, which as a vocalist is way more difficult than playing a saxophone solo over a tune. So it was, yeah, that song gave me nightmares for a while, but I, I didn't want to, uh, I figured I would pick the one that I actually still enjoy listening to. (laughs) <laughs> which is Naima. And I think, yeah, John Coltrane, like he's known for his like a million notes a minute kind of playing and 
sometimes I feel that's people that's all that people take away from his playing but he's also a very like expressive soloist and like when he does the more like um kind of slow tempo ballad kind of tunes like I think he really shines in that setting as well um and I just think this song has a beautiful melody um and it's a singable melody sometimes the thing with a lot of jazz tunes is that the melodies aren't very catchy or singy it's like singable and this is one that definitely is to me And next, Centipede by Will Sen, off of I Go Missing in My Sleep, uh, album released in 2017. So this song, I think, actually came out in 2016 because I remember listening to it. It was like a single first and then they put it on the album. Yeah. I remember listening to it a bunch when we were making my first album. Um, and, yeah, just love the lyrics love the mood it's so moody and it just her voice is really like it's got that kind of like quiet intensity that I really like like it's kind of dreamy but it's still got it's not wishy-washy um and the I think the lyrics are really interesting like it just kind of tells the story that I'm like what is what is she talking about but I want to know more um, I love the guitar sound and the beat in this one. The drums are really cool. Um, yeah, this is a very inspiring song to me. Every time I listen to it, I'm like, oh, God, I just want to make music like that. You're born in each and every step. It's like a thousand of the times we could have changed. We were cemented in place. And then last but not least, Allergies by Stella Donnelly, fellow Australian, off of her album Beware of the Yeah, she's a fellow Perth girl. Um, She went to the same university as me. I think she started the year year after I finished. Um, Again, amazing voice. I love an interesting voice. And she, yeah, her voice is perfect. And this song was one that I listened to a lot while just before the pandemic started, I kind of had this like six month period of like, I'd broken up with my partner and, but I hadn't moved. So it was kind of this like six months of like weirdness of like, what am I doing? And I know I need to leave, but uh, that time hasn't come yet. And it was, yeah, it was a weird time. (laughs) But, um, I listened to this album a lot and specifically this song a lot. And Hatchie was actually another Aussie girl that was, she's still big. She's still around. I love her stuff as well. It was kind of Stella and Hatchie. Those were the two um, artists that I was checking out a lot at that time. Um, And yeah, I just think, yeah, this song, she, Stella Donnelly is like such a good storyteller in her songwriting. Like her lyrics are so relatable and interesting and funny and this one's like less funny. It's more just like gentle. But I think at that time in my life when I was like dealing with 
being on my own again, like this song kind of felt like a little blanket. It was just very comforting to listen to. So. I won't be next to you. You used all the after pain. I got no returns. Don't let me stop all your fun. There's lessons to be learned. Gabby of Ruby, my dear. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me, everyone. Uh, Ruby, my dear, new EP is out now. You can get it on Bandcamp, of course, everyone. That's Ruby, my dear, with a V instead of a U. So that's R-V-B-Y, my dear, dot bandcamp.com. You could also stream it on your platform of choice and of course as we mentioned you're gonna be celebrating the release of this ep on january 18th in los angeles at gold diggers with rainy blake and sonata sonoda yes sonoda <laughs> that's exciting so exciting any other shows on the horizon what's what's up for 2023 uh no full band shows booked um though those will be coming um nothing announced yet i am i will be doing a solo thing on february 5th also at gold diggers my friend marilisa who's another new york to la transplant um she is hosting like a songwriter night um so I'm really excited to do that as well. And I'm going to try and play some new, new stuff at that, like brand new, not recorded songs at that one. Um, but yeah, just, yeah, looking forward to jumping back into playing with the new band and getting the ball rolling again now that we're finally emerging from whatever the last two and a half, three years has been. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. The future looks bright. Future is bright for Ruby, my dear. <laughs> All right. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been awesome. All right. Let's close things out with one last song. We're going to play the final track on the new Ruby, my dear EP. It's called Lullaby. <laughs>
the end.